0: Chapter 42 of A Broken Bond This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeff Blanchard A Broken Bond By Nicholas Carter The detective acquires a wife Now then, my boy, the detective went on, pointing to the telephone on his desk, you'll oblige me by calling up Miss Worth and telling her that your friend has agreed to place himself in her hands. Say that he'll arrive there about half-past nine tonight. Patsy eyed his chief doubtfully. It's a risky business, he warned him. You'll have to stay there for some time to keep up the bluff, and Follensby will probably visit Stone tomorrow. If the scoundrel should recognize you, I'll take that risk, Nick put in. But I don't think he will. If I can't make use of a disguise that will deceive him, I ought to get out of the business. It's settled anyway. I want you to accompany me to Miss Worth's and see me safely deposited. How long do you expect to stay there? I haven't the slightest idea. That will depend on circumstances. Perhaps I can get away after a day, but it may be a week, for all I know. And he left the room. Patsy nodded after the lithe, upright figure. I'll give you 24 hours, chief, he said to himself, and if you're not out of that place by that time, I'll be hanged if I don't come and get you. He turned to the desk and, after consulting the telephone book, found the number of Miss Worth's private hospital. Number two bed in Ward E will be reserved for your friend, Mr. Bainbridge. Miss Worth informed him over the wire. Gerald Bainbridge was the name Patsy had given to Nick on the spare of the moment. About nine o'clock that evening, young Gavin, who was fidgeting about in the study, Heard the door open softly. Someone entered the room. He knew that it was his chief, but he was forced to think that the disguise was one of the most successful Nick had ever attempted. He had dressed himself in a suit that was a size or two too large for him. The garments hung loosely on him. He stooped slightly, and it seemed as though his shoulders were much thinner and narrower than was actually the case. His cheeks looked hollow and his eyes had dark rings around them that seemed to indicate a weakened frame and long hours on a sick bed. A straggling beard, badly in need of trimming, covered his cheeks and chin. It was by no means an ordinary false one, but one of Nick's own inventions, of the kind used by him when the occasion called for extraordinary care against detection. He knew that he would be in charge of a nurse and that a commonplace disguise would not stand the close inspection he would be obliged to undergo. It would have taken a Nick Carter himself, however, to discover that that beard was artificial. It had been put on with a great deal of care, and the thin substance into which the hairs were embedded so closely resembled the human skin in hue and texture that it was almost impossible to tell where one began and the other left off. Ordinary washing would not affect it in the least, and yet it could be removed in fifteen minutes' time, if one knew how. It was the same with the wig. He was leaning heavily on a stout walking stick and caught the look of admiration in Patsy's eyes. Well, will I do, he asked. His assistant drew a deep breath. You're the real thing, was his enthusiastic comment. I never saw you turn out anything better than that. A moment later, Ida Jones, Nick's beautiful woman assistant, entered the room. She, too, was to play a part in the sketch that had been so hastily staged. Nick waved one trembling hand toward her. For an old friend, my boy, you don't seem to be on your job. Is it possible you don't recognize Mrs. Bainbridge? Patsy looked bewildered for a moment and then broke into a grin. Mrs. Bainbridge, eh? he queried. So you've taken a wife for the occasion, have you? Is she going with us? Of course. She's devoted to her husband, and it wouldn't do, you know, for you to take me there alone. We'll have to have a woman along to fuss over me and make the thing seem real. The young assistant's grin broadened. Well, I must say I admire your taste, he remarked with a wink. I could have told you long ago that Ida is just the girl for you. Miss Jones laughed. None of that, Patsy, she said laughingly. If the chief ever comes to think of me as a girl, he'll fire me as sure as fate. Nick looked at her admiringly. I'm not quite as bad as that, Ida, he said. Give me credit, please, for knowing that you're a girl and a remarkably attractive one. But you're a corking good detective also and I'm afraid that interests me more. No more nonsense now, you two. It's time to go. A couple of travel-worn suitcases had been provided and packed. Catching these up, Patsy went off down the stairs, followed by Nick and the girl. About half an hour later, their machine, a hired taxi, halted at Miss Worth's steps. Patsy and the girl jumped out and solicitously helped their companion to alight while the chauffeur rang the bell. Miss Worth herself followed the servant to the door, and all concerned played their parts to perfection. Patsy was a rather officious, but tender-hearted friend. Ida Jones made a beautiful and devoted wife, while Nick assumed a querulous voice and a crotchety manner, which went well with his apparent weakness. I don't want any nurses fussing about me, Except when it's absolutely necessary, he declared. I've had quite enough of nurses. I want just a quiet, peaceful time, you understand? Miss Worth assured him that he would have no cause to complain of overattention and gave Mrs. Bainbridge a reassuring look behind his back. Patsy was having all he could to keep a straight face and, indeed, when the others had left the reception room, he felt obliged to relax and indulge in a hearty, though silent, laugh. In a moment he became serious enough, however, when he remembered Follensby's threats and the defenceless position in which his chief was placing himself. Ida Jones had, of course, accompanied her husband to the room, which he was to occupy. She had declared that she must see it in order to be sure that he would be comfortable. Five minutes later, however, she returned to the waiting room, still escorted by Miss Worth, and, after leaving many parting injunctions, she accompanied Patsy out of the house. When the taxi starts, you must applaud, Patsy, she whispered, as they crossed the veranda. I flatter myself that I did that fairly well. You certainly did, he answered. You could give points to most wives, except mine. He was thinking of something else, though, of Stephen Follinsby's diabolical cleverness. Twenty-four hours is the most I'll allow the chief, he said, repeating his resolve. If he isn't out by that time, unless I know everything is all right, I'm going to stick a finger into the pie once more. End of chapter 42